be looking at the second part of remembering what life is like since Christ came. And the subtitle there is Peace, Reconciliation, and Access to God. Because of the debt that we sang about that this morning, He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. Because of His debt that was paid on Calvary, we have access to God. We have reconciliation to God. We have peace with God. So we're going to look at that this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, we're going to go through verse 18. And uh, then next week we're going to be looking at what a picture of the church. I think it's six different pictures that uh, Paul has shown here in these last few verses. And we'll finish up Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll see where God leads us from there. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read those uh, that passage together, verses 14 through 18. The Bible says this, beginning in verse 14, For he himself is our peace. Think about that. Let that soak in. He's our peace. He is the one that made peace possible. He is the essence of peace. Peace with what? Like we'll see here in just a second, it's not just peace with one another, but it's mainly peace with God. But who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Last week we talked about what does it mean by those who are far off. Basically what Paul's talking about is the Gentiles. Those who were near were the Jews. We'll see that in a little bit in a picture, that a couple of diagrams that I have to show you. But those who were considered far off were the Gentile people. Anyone who was not a Jew was considered a Gentile. And Paul is speaking to the Gentile church here, and he's giving them illustration in a way that they can understand what's going on because they're very, very familiar with the temple, the wall of separation, the commandments that, and the ordinances that the Jews keep that keep them separated. So Paul's talking to them in a language that they can understand. He's using illustration that they very much can relate to. And I think we'll see that this morning as we go through our notes. But number one in your notes, Christ brings us peace. That's what the text says. For he himself is our peace, having abolished the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. He is the peace between the Jew and the Gentile, between man to man, but especially between man and God. He was the one who came and abolished the law. Paul is writing to Gentile believers and for centuries, the Jews and Gentiles, and we talked about this last week, had been estranged from one another, partly by design. God designed it that way. The Jews were God's chosen people. And guess what? They still are today. And if we have any sense as a nation, we will be allies with the Jewish nation of Israel. If not, we're going to be at enmity with God again as a nation because God will always have his chosen people. And in the, in the end, they will win. 
and the stories that we read in the Bible about God showing up and sounds of armies and, and a small group of people winning over a large one, we're going to see that if we live long enough, we're going to see that happen again with the Jewish nation of Israel. Because they're still God's chosen people. That's never changed. And it never will change. God formed his own nation and called them Israel. And it was through Israel that the seed which would bring all nations together, Jesus Christ, would come through. And then all people, Gentiles and Jews, would be blessed through that seed. And the time was right. Paul begins writing this letter to the Gentile nation in a language that they can understand. Very much applicable to the world that they lived in. And Paul began to, to break down some barriers with the God so loved the world, not just the Jews' gospel. Paul was a converted Jew. And he understood that the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles no longer exists when they come to Christ as their means of peace. Verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. He's still our peace today. He's still our peace today. And when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ into our heart, there's that Spirit of God that lives within us that's given us peace with the Father, with the Father and gives us the ability to have peace with one another, to reconcile. How can we say we love God whom we have not seen? And have hatred for our brother. First John 4.20 says that if someone says I love God and hates his brother. Very simple. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? But Christ is the reason that we have that peace. Christ brings us peace when we realize that he died for our sin. And offers us deliverance from the bondage of sin. The peace that we can have knowing that. We have eternal life. He brings us a, deep, a deeper peace when he allows us to sense peace in daily struggles of life. When everything seems to be going wrong, but somewhere deep down inside, we still have that peace that passes all understanding. He also gives us peace to realize that he's brought perfect love and unity in the world between Jews and Gentiles. And we have the ability to love our neighbor, we'll just allow the love of Christ to reign and live within us. There's four things in your notes there that I've that I've noted that that bring Christ's peace to man. Letter A, he made all men one. All men now approach God on the same basis, on equal footing, by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. When a man comes to the cross, he comes with everyone else who is standing at the foot of the cross. All on an equal basis. Every one of us need a Savior. As sinners, we need the Savior. One's not going to be accepted because he's healthier or wealthier or more intelligent or better looking or, or any other social, economical status that we might bring means nothing at the foot of the cross. He's accepted by God because he acknowledges, as all men must acknowledge, that he is lost and needful in confessing Christ as Savior. Listen to what John 14, 27 says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The peace of having that relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1, 6. And in, and, is make, and in making us one, Christ does a couple of things that, that we were unable to do. Bring in that common law. When you go back and look at the history between the Gentile and the Jew, there were some really evil things done between the animosity and the enmity between those two groups of people. And every believer comes to Jesus Christ must love the other. And God created that common love through His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, there's a common purpose in the work. We come together as a, as a believer in Christ. A common work is that of living right, living righteously, bearing testimony to the message of salvation and to eternal life. And we, as we said last week, that was, the, that was the purpose of God calling out the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, that they would bring the gospel to the rest of the world, and they failed. That didn't get didn't uh, bring surprise to God. It didn't catch him off guard. He knew what was going to happen. He had a plan all along. But there was just one more step to help us to understand that man cannot do it on our own. That it took the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to bring us into relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. Secondly, in bringing peace, he broke down all the barriers. He broke down all the barriers. Go ahead to that next slide. This is a picture, and this one's hard to see, and we're going to get to another one. But this is a picture, of a, a drawing of the temple and all of the different courts and, and some of the gates that were there. And the outer court was where the Gentiles could come. It's as far as they could go. That was basically the marketplace. If you read in, in Mark's gospel, it talks about the, the selling and exchanging of animals and that sort of That's where all that happened. And that's as far as the Gentile believer could go within the, that outer court of the marketplace. Go ahead to the next one. This gives a little bit better idea. If you'll look, this is about 35 square acres. And this is where the Gentiles could come in to worship. Those who were afar off. The Bible says that Jesus came to break down that barrier. There's an actual physical wall that separated the Jewish worshiper and the Gentile worshiper. Can you imagine the animosity that must have been created just by doing that? The, the exclusion of, of just coming to worship. Supposedly, they were worshiping the same God. That would be like us separating our church in here and say, okay, women, you can sit in the back, and that still happens in, in some circles today, and men, you can sit in the front. Now, we're going to worship the same God, but... You're not good enough. Or just reverse that. Me and you have to sit in the back, and because women most of the time are more spiritual, you can come up front closer to God. The men, that's why the men always sit in the front. They needed to be closer to God. But can you imagine the, the friction that must have happened that, that caused, uh, or that barrier that was built? It was the court of the Gentiles. The outermost part was paved by colored stones and had some columns and different things. It was open to the Gentiles. But the thing about that is if a Jew wanted to stop and worship in that court, no problem. They could worship in the Gentile area, but the Gentile couldn't go into the Jewish area. You know, if I'm not good enough to go in where you are, then you're not going to stay out here with me. Just go on where you belong would be my attitude. But the barrier that was there, usually crowded from people with all 
all backgrounds and walks of life because the Jew was the exclusive one that could go into that next court. At the center of the court of the Gentiles stood a, a, that enclosed compound that you can see there in the middle, and no foreigner was allowed in there. In fact, all around that corridor, that, that inner wall there, there were plaques, and they found some of these uh, historians and, and uh, archaeologists have found some of these and inscribed on those. It says this, No foreigner is allowed within the, the bulustrades and embankment of, about the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will be personally responsible for his ensuing death. The penalty for the Gentile going into the Jewish area was death. What a barrier. What a barrier. Paul is writing because they understood the barrier. It's the same barrier that kept us because of the law that we could not uphold. It was the same barrier that kept us from worshiping and having communication with the God of the universe. Christ came to break them. And when he did, the veil, the temple, was literally torn, giving access to God. Petition after petition separated the people from the presence of God. And there were several petitions, and in, in, the, in the very inner circle was the Holy of Holies, where the priests could go only once a year. Exclusion. Can you imagine if we had that kind of setup today? The rituals and the laws. You know what we still do in some sense. We still have barriers such as race and color and religion and organization and preference of people and lifestyles and wealth and position and social economic standards and abilities and those kinds of things. You know, I believe in God's circle there there are none of those things. Everything's level. We need to be accepting of one another regardless of all of those barriers that we put up with one another. Because the Bible is very clear here that Christ has done away with those barriers. Verse 14 it says, And broken down the middle wall of separation. That was a physical wall, but it's also the walls that we still put up today between one another. He's done away with those things. And we can only approach God now on the same basis that makes us worthy and that's through his son the Lord Jesus Christ better see in your notes he wiped out all the rules he wiped out all the rules that word abolish there means to nullify to render useless or to render ineffective God was, would come and begin a relationship with man and the next thing you knew just like Adam and Eve and God began that relationship and there was no condemnation and man came before God naked and talked with God freely and when sin entered what happened they tried to cover themselves they were ashamed and every time man broke the law the law cried out guilty 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 and man understood and discovered that the law was against him and kept him from having a relationship with God. The law was divided into the moral law and the ceremonial law. And don't, don't miss this right here. Look at verse 15. Look at this closely. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. 
The moral law still stands. Still stands. That's the law that says we have to love God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and all of our strength, and we are to love one another. But it's those ceremonial laws that that kept us separated, that were only applied to the Jew and not to the Gentile, and the Gentile had no way of breaking down that barrier. But it's no longer could the Jew say, oh, I sacrifice and I go to the temple and I worship on the Sabbath, I do this and I do that. And God loves me more than he loves you because I keep all of those commandments. But when Christ came, he took all those external things, threw it out, and there's only one way. And it was mentioned earlier, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You can do all the good work. You can do Sunday school for 12 children and do that every week and still die and bust hell wide open if you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3, 1 through 10, when he says, I used to be a Pharisee. I was zealous for the law and righteous as far as men were concerned. Now I realize that all of that I count but loss because I realize that, that I know Jesus Christ through the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And what was once a religion to me now is a relationship between me and Jesus Christ. And that's what he replaced for the Jew and the Gentile. That's what he replaced for you and me. There is no dividing wall. He brings us peace. In bringing us peace, letter D in your notes, he creates a new man. I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. He's taken that old man of, of my sinful nature and slowly molding, recreating, and building a new man. He made me a new man spiritually. And when he puts those two together, Many times there's the old man over here and the new man over here. And it becomes a fight. And I'm the barrier in between trying to figure out which one I'm going to follow. But he, but he brings us together. We're going to see that next week a little bit more clearly. By building a new family. The church. A new temple that will one day be reconstructed. Dave and I talked a little bit about that this morning. There will be another temple built. And it will be a magnificent place. And there won't be any Iraq stopping. There won't be any United States of America stopping. We're going to see a new temple built. Number two in your notes, Christ brings us reconciliation. You see, there was that struggle between the old man and the new man. The fight. That word reconcile there means to change or to change thoroughly, to, to bring, to change enmity to friendship, to bring together, to restore. The idea that two persons that should have been united have, and had something dividing them were now brought together. And Paul uses the picture of the temple so that they can understand that there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That you're all one. Warren Wiersbe tells of a story that he was sitting in his office one day 
and a man came in. He was distraught, obviously, by the way his his demeanor was. And he came in and he just blurted out to Dr. Wiersbe and he said, My wife and I need recancellation. Dr. Wiersbe said, I, I knew what he meant. He meant reconciliation. But in one sense, recancellation was the right word. Because they had sinned against each other. They had sinned against God. And what they needed was their sin canceled. They needed to be wiped away. And that really is a good illustration of what that word reconcile means. Because you see, before we can be reconciled with God, there has to be a payment for that sin. It has to be wiped away. And we're reconciled in two different ways. First of all, let her aid in your notes by the cross. We're reconciled by the cross. Look at verse 16. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Period. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. The way. It was done at the cross. It was accomplished at the cross. Man became the enemy of God, Romans 5.10. It means that we were at enmity with God. Every one of us. We were rebelling, cursing, rejecting, ignoring the God who loved us. Refusing to live for him. The Bible says that he reconciled us through the cross. When we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sin, that he did away with that law, that ceremonial law of trying to work and earn our way to heaven. I want you to just get a mental picture in your mind of Jesus on the cross. Of the law being laid aside. It's like taking the law that that were that were all in these manuscripts the scribes kept and it's like taking the law and laying it over here to the side and then Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross and he's on the other side and what God is saying is you can do one or the other you can keep trying to keep the law and you can keep yourself into bondage and you can keep that barrier between you and me but I've I've sent my son to die on the cross. And you can lay that law aside. You can make it not useful anymore. You can abolish it or nullify it. And you can take Jesus Christ as a payment for your sin. Because you see, there has to be a payment. When a man's convicted in court, and the guilty verdict has been passed down, there has to be payment. And if a judge would just say, I'm not going to accept that and you're free to go, what does he do? He lessens the severity of the law. He weakens the law. And he makes the law of no use. And God didn't do that. God paid the penalty through his son. The law is still strong. Try to live by it. You can't. But he says, I'll nullify that through my son. And you can pick that up. But notice this. It's God who reconciles with man, not man with God. We don't have the ability to come to God until God comes to us. Listen to what the Bible says in Second Corinthians. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Notice 
the progression there. Not man to God, but God to man. He has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that ministry of reconciliation? That's reconciling ourselves to one another. We have the ability to do that. He has given that not just to one of us or two of us, but has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we choose whether we stay at enmity with one another or we reconcile and live life in peace. Listen to what Colossians 1.20 says. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The progression there is that God reconciles himself to man, not man to God. And he does that. How does he do that? By the reconciliation of the preaching of peace. The preaching of peace. That's how God chose to, to save the Gentile nation. He sent Paul to preach the gospel. How does he do that today? Through the same thing. The same thing that we're doing right now. Not just, and that word preach there is not just specifically for the pastor. But that word preach there means that each one of us would share the gospel, would share the message of the gospel. And it says this in 1 Corinthians one twenty one: For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. We're not smart enough to find God. We can see that there is a God, through Romans 1 says, because of his nature, but we don't have the ability to, to find him. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What we are doing right now is foolishness. Catch that? Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God knew that we would need to have it broken down. And through the preaching of his word, through his word who that breathes and is alive and well and has the ability to penetrate the hearts of men, that's the way men would come to know the loving grace of Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel. Number three in your notes. Because of reconciliation, Christ brings us access to God. We didn't have the ability through all the laws that we could live up to to reach God. They couldn't do it when they tried to build the tower. Remember that? And God separated the nations because they were trying to reach God by, by getting into the heavens with the Tower of Babel. Access. Christ brings us access to God. It means to, to bring into or to introduce or to present a way to get to something. How to get there. The thought is that of being in a royal court and being presented and introduced to the King of Kings. And that King of Kings is Jesus Christ. One day a little boy named Willie stood gazing at the gates Buckingham Palace. He longed to go in and see the King. However, between him and the King were some barriers. The law. Between him and the King were Iron gates, rigid protocol, armed soldiers and watchful guards and police. What he wanted was completely out of the question in his own power. It's a relationship here between our need of God and needing God. After many attempts and rejection by those in authority, the young lad simply thought he would never be able to see the king. He couldn't live up to the law. He couldn't 
He couldn't bypass the guards and the barriers that were there. But one day as he wandered around the gate of the palace, there was a policeman giving him a hard time. He was very vocal in his demand that the boy never come around again. When suddenly the policeman stiffened, rose to attention as a well-dressed, confident man approached the gate. With a nod of his head, the policeman opened the gate, stood aside. The well-dressed man grabbed the little boy's hand and said, Come with me, son. Took the little boy's hand and he said, We're going to go see the king. They went inside the palace and inside the palace in Buckingham, at that time, there were 40 housemaids, 50 footmen, including one man who did nothing but wind clocks all day. 775 rooms, 19 staterooms, 52 principal bedrooms, 188 staff bedrooms. It's a massive place. 92 offices, 78 bathrooms. The palace even has its own post office, cinema, swimming pool, doctor's surgical area, and jewelry workshop. Willie and the man walked through the kitchen and then on and on through the north wing, up the stairs, along endless passages. It seemed like there was no end to this place. Finally, they arrived at the king's quarter on the main floor into the master's suite. It seemed they were miles from the kitchen where they began. The man seemed to know the way. He knew people that he came in contact with. He chatted about the rooms they passed and the magnificent ballroom that contained Majestic thrones on raised platforms and the stamp room that housed the world's most valuable stamp collection. He knew about the Belgium suite with its 42 rooms and the use of state visitors and the, the royal wardrobe and the music room. And the dining room they passed that had a table as large as a skating room. Finally they arrived in the king's presence. The man spoke. Hello, father. Here's a little boy who wants to meet the king. Meet my friend, Willie. Willie, this is the king. You see, the little boy had taken the hand of Prince Edward, the Prince of Wales, the king's son. And through the king's son, Willie had access to the king. You're going to have access to the king, to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the heaven and the earth. The only way you'll get there is through the king's 